So um, as, you, as regulars at church, we've been going through a series called Time for Christmas. Okay, not only has it been, now it is time for Christmas, but for the last, I think it's been six weeks. Has it been six weeks or seven weeks? We've looked at, um, we've taken some time to go through some of the scenes in Christmas. Because sometimes I think at Christmas time in churches, you can just rush through the event and then it's done. So we've taken some time to look at some of the different people that are involved in the story, like um, Zechariah um, and, and Elizabeth, you know, John the Baptist's parents, right? And then we looked at Mary and uh, the angel that came to visit Mary. And then we looked at Mary and Elizabeth getting together. And then we looked at the angel coming to visit um, uh, yeah, Mary. I've said that already. Who else did we look at? Help me out. Joseph. Yep. We looked at the shepherds. We looked at the birth of Christ like two, two weeks ago. And then last week we were in the, the temple area where there was a whole lot of law stuff going on, remember? A lot of regulations and rituals and religious stuff going on in the temple. And Jesus was fulfilling all of those things. But it was all about grace, if we listen. Listen, it's all about grace. And as we're going through this series, Time for Christmas, looking at the story throughout the Bible about the Christmas story, it's all about grace. It's all about God's grace. God's amazing grace. God's grace and love for us. And so here we are tonight. We've, uh, we've looked at the birth of Jesus. We've looked at how um, he has um, yeah, grown to probably the age of 40 days old. And now we come to Matthew chapter 2. So have your Bibles open to it. And in verse 1, right? I might actually put it up on the screen. That might be easier. Uh, the, tonight's message is called Wisdom Worships Jesus. Wisdom Worships Jesus. Okay. In other words, it's really wise to worship Jesus. Okay. All right. First one. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem. So I'm going to look at the identity of these wise men, and then we're going to look at what their, um, their inquiry was, and then we're going to look a little bit more about their discovery. Okay? So their identity, their inquiry, and their discovery. So their identity. Who are these guys? The wise men. So much folklore out there, people. All right? We, uh, we nearly sang a song tonight called We Three Kings. You know that song? We Three Kings of Orient are bearing gifts. We Travis afar. Was Travis the name of one of the wise men? Not sure. That was a joke. Free of charge. But we don't know how many wise men there were. Okay? We think there's three. But if we're good readers of the Bible, Christian people, we will find that the Bible doesn't actually tell us how many wise men there were. It says there were three kinds of gifts. Anyone know what the gifts were? Anyone? Kids, you're, you're involved? Frankincense, gold, and myrrh. Bang. Oh, didn't have any Mars bars tonight. Maybe next week. Maybe next week. Frankincense, gold, and myrrh. Exactly. And so there were three gifts, right? And so it, we kind of, it's, it's gone through the ages in tradition that there were three actual guys. <clears throat> now, when, when I say 
the three wise men, or the three, sometimes they're called magi. Anyone ever heard that? Magi? It comes from, actually, it comes from the Greek word for this, this, these two words, wise men. It actually comes from that. It's, it's magos. Magos. So we come, they're plural, magos, one magi. Um, sorry, other way around. And so these, um, and, and, it, and it's, a, it's a Greek, it's actually a Greek word for magician. All right. So in Acts, there's actually a guy, um, he's, a, he's a magician and he wants the Holy Spirit. So he, he just sell, tells the disciples, I want to buy the Holy Spirit. And he gets in a whole, whole lot of trouble. But the same word is used for that. Now, it's interesting because these guys aren't magicians. We don't see them doing any tricks or anything, but there's something special about them. There's something intriguing about them. There's something mystical about them, don't you think? I would love to, I would love to have met them on their road to Bethlehem. You know, their road to Bethlehem was a long road. These wise men, the Bible actually says that they came to the house where he was. Uh, we'll look at that a bit later on. So it means that they didn't actually come to the manger. They didn't actually come to where the Christ was born. They did come to Bethlehem, but it was in a house. So it's interesting, isn't it? We grow up with these traditions, don't we, Christian people? We grow up with these traditions thinking that the uh, shepherds and the wise men are all there at the same time at the same place. But I don't read that in my Bible, and you don't either if you've got your eyes open. But we see that they did come. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem. These eastern lands could be anywhere. A lot of people believe, a lot of decent scholars believe, and I, I agree with them, that they come from Babylon, that they're Babylonian wise men. They're Babylonian scholars, intellectuals, but also theologicals. In other words, they're, in, in a sense, they, they believe in one God and, and they, want, they, they realize that this one God is the creator and he's involved. In other words... Um, Let's get on to it. So their, their, their identity is that there's, it could be three, could be four, could be two, but there's more than one. Um, they come from distant lands, from Babylon possibly. And they're in a caravan of sorts. They're in a group of people, right? They have to be. They've got gold. All right, no one travels on their own with that much gold, especially back in those days. All right. I'm sorry if I've ruined anything for you. Let's keep reading the Bible. So it says, where um, they uh, from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, right? Asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. You ever thought about those words? King Herod was disturbed when he heard this. He was actually really, really, really disturbed because he knew that there was a coming king from Israel, a coming Messiah, one who would overthrow and have a kingdom that would last forever. He knew this, but he didn't, knew, he didn't know all the details, right? He knew God, but he didn't really know God, if you don't understand what I'm talking about. And he himself was the king in Judea, in Jerusalem, in that area, in Israel. And so he wanted to call him, he in fact called himself the king of the Jews. And so he doesn't want this actual king to come and dethrone him. We saw it in the video before, there was a, 
there was an excerpt there of King Herod and he wanted and he had a sword in his hand. Did you remember seeing that in the video? King Herod thought to himself in that video, if, if this guy wants to be king, he's got to take it from me. He was really afraid. But you see, the uh, wise men, they came and they said, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. So can you imagine these wise men? Like there's probably about, there's at least three, right? And they're maybe on camels or horses. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But they would have been on some kind of animal because you know how far they would have traveled? 800 miles. Now, I know that's nothing to Aussies. So I'll put it in your terms. 1,287 kilometers. Something like that. All right. Now, anyone been to Port Macquarie in New South Wales? Yeah. So go from here to Port Macquarie. That's the distance. They've gone a long way. They didn't have cars, they didn't have buses or trains or nothing like that. They would have walked, they would, they would have walked or gone on a, on a pony or on a camel or something. And it would have taken them a long time. And it would have cost them a lot of money. And it would have cost them a lot of time. Sacrifice. Could you imagine being one of those, I would love to listen to these wise men. You know, I don't know if they met every week at a, at a, at a, local haunt or something and they both uh, they looked up at the sky and they, they saw this star happening and they thought yeah that's the one that's the star we heard about that's the star and so they've gone home one of them has talked to his wife darling i'm gonna go on a long journey how long is the journey well 900 sure but do you know where judah is do you know where judea is you know bethlehem bethlehem where are you gonna visit you just imagine this the talks like i try and you know make it normal because um, this is a journey that they would have to sacrifice. They'd leave their families behind. Some people think that they've traveled for years on the road to Bethlehem and back. It, it probably would have, it could have taken them three months. You know, if they really tried hard, they probably could have taken about 50 days to get to Bethlehem if they really tried hard from Babylon. But I, I believe Babylon too, because wise men are mentioned in the book of Daniel. Now, if you're taking notes, look up Daniel chapter 2. Beautiful story about King Nebuchadnezzar having a dream, needing wise men to interpret the dream. And Daniel, a follower of God, creator God, interprets the dream for the king, right? And so the king doesn't end up killing all the other wise men. He keeps them alive because Daniel interpreted the dream. Read it yourself. Amazing story. Wise men, right? Now, in Daniel... He also talks about, in that dream, uh, a coming king, a ruler who would rule forever and ever. And, and the picture is of this massive big stone, mountain of stone, coming and crashing against some kind of statue of all these mad-made kings. The statue disintegrates, the stone gets bigger and lasts forever. Okay, it's a picture of a king that's coming in the future who will come and set up a kingdom on earth that will last forever. It's in Daniel chapter 2. All right, it's hundreds of years before Jesus ever came to earth, okay? And Daniel probably got his stuff from uh, Numbers 24. If you look up Numbers 24, that's another thing. Um, talking about a star that will rise, a scepter that will, will rise, a, a ruler that will come out of Bethlehem, out of Judea. Anyway, I can't talk too much on that. It's a lot of stuff. But these guys, they traveled a long way, sacrifice. Herod was upset that a king was coming that was going to dethrone him, right? Next one. Oh, there's Daniel there, Daniel 2. The God of heaven, this is the end of the dream. 
Um, Daniel speaking, he says, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness and it will stand forever. That is the meaning of the rock cut out of the mountain, though not by human hands, that crushed the pieces, crushed to pieces the statue of iron. The great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. The dream is true and its meaning is certain. Now, I believe that because all the wise men got to live after Daniel interpreted that dream, they all thought this amazing vision was worth remembering. And so they've been looking forward down the ages, down the generations, sharing throughout the wise men's school about this king that was coming. All right. Why else would wise men follow a star? That's all they were going off, a star. Amazing, isn't it, when you think about it? They weren't religious. They weren't Jewish. They didn't have a Bible, so to speak. They might have had some, some kind of scripture, but they were following a star. Um, there's Numbers, chapter 24, um, a prophecy way back. This is the message Balaam delivered. This is the message of Balaam, son of Beor. I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him. He's speaking of a God, a king that will come. But far in the distant future, a star will rise from Jacob. A scepter, in other words, a ruler, will emerge from Israel. A ruler will rise in Jacob. So there you go. There's Numbers 24. I remember to put those in. Yay. Back to Matthew chapter 2. And we see King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. So what's he going to do about it? He called a meeting. The political leader of the day got the religious leaders of the day together and they put their heads together. He called a meeting with, with all these religious leaders and he said to them, he asked them, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Where is this promised one supposed to be born, right? And they said, in Bethlehem in Judea, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you, who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Now that's not from Numbers or from Daniel, that's from Micah chapter 5, talking about a, a coming ruler, a coming shepherd, right? And so here's these brainiacs, right? King Herod and all the religious leaders, okay? Now we know that throughout the rest of Jesus' life, who were his least favorite or friendly people? The religious leaders. In fact, they were out to kill him. <laughs> the ones who should have known better, who had, who had the scriptures, right? Who had it all written down, who could quote from Micah, who could quote all the stuff, who knew exactly where the Messiah was going to be born. It wasn't them that actually saw the Messiah. King Herod, the king of the area, should have known. He was from a, a, a Jewish background. He was an Idumean. He was from Esau's family. He should have known, but he missed Jesus. The, the political and the religious systems got together and they missed Jesus. In fact, they got together later on and they crucified Jesus. All part of God's plan. But yet, um, Herod's trying to find out where this Messiah is supposed to be born. So then he gets these wise men, right? He called for a private meeting with the wise men because he heard them talking around town. And he learned from them the time when the star first appeared for them. And then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Who thinks that was a porky pie? A lie, sorry. Who thinks that was a lie? See, Herod did not want to worship him. He just wanted to find out where he was so he could massacre him. He could, um, what do you call it? Infanticize. No, yeah, yeah. Genocide, infanticide, 
infant, infanticide, whatever you call it. I don't know how to say it properly, but he wanted to be a baby killer, okay? Let's put it that way. He wanted to go find where this baby was, this child was, and, um, and not make him king, all right? So, but you know, it's interesting in that, that the, the wise men, they didn't know exactly where he was. They didn't know exactly where Jesus was, but they knew he was somewhere close. The extra thing they needed was what? The Bible. They needed a Bible. They needed scripture from Micah to say, oh, it's Bethlehem. Because they were in Judea, right? But they went to Jerusalem, the wrong place. They were close, but they didn't get a cigar. They, they had to find out through the word of God. And it wasn't just through creation. It wasn't just through a star. It was through the word as well. So after this interview, the wise men went their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. See that child? Not baby anymore. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. I love this. What do you picture? What did you picture when I, when I started talking about the wise men? What came to mind? People in maybe like Persian, purple, gold, fancy outfits, like, you know, thick kind of material and chains, gold chains, like proper people, right? Maybe not like kind of extroverts, right? Maybe some decent kind of intelligentsia. But here we have in verse 10, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. This terminology is never ever in the Bible anywhere else. These guys were so happy, everybody knew. Like it was uncont uncontainable, uncontrollable. They, they were giddy with joy. These men, these grown men, now it makes you wonder, they must have traveled so far and they were going off of just a star and, a, and maybe a whim, maybe some prophecy from long ago and yet they still didn't know. But then when they saw the star, that was just what they needed for proof. And they got so excited. They were exceedingly filled with joy. It's actually terminology in, in the Greek original. It's violent joy. It's violent joy. They were so excited. Nothing was holding them back. And so what happens next? They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary. See that? They entered the house. I just ruined your fantasies about the manger scene, didn't I? Sorry about that. But they, they, these guys entered into the Jesus life months, maybe years after the birth. We're not 100% sure, all right? I'm just telling the Bible what the Bible says. And they, they went into the house and they saw... Who? The mother, Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. They came. They had to search. They were close. But they had to search and they had to use the word of God. And they came and they worshipped him. I love these wise men because you know what they do is they worship someone who can't give them anything in return. Literally, a baby. You see a baby, right? Or a little child. <laughs> I, I'm a grand, I'm a grand, I'm a pop, right? The twins. I get to hold the twins, burp them. Sometimes I get a face smile. More often than not, there's like vomit. And there's changing, I haven't changed them yet, but Sonia does that. But these children, they don't give you anything. Like they're just there. You have to give them something. They're dependent, right? And so here's these wise men, right? These magi, these guys that have sacrificed, that have traveled thousand kilometers plus to see 
to give honor and worship and gifts to someone who will never pay them back or can't pay them back. That's real worship. Anything apart from that is manipulation. Like I think for me, when I come to church, like it's good to come to church, okay? But it's better to come to Jesus. And when, we, when like we have songs or hymns or, or uh, something in the service, prayer, you know, it's important that we come to Jesus. Every single thing about the service should be about coming to Jesus, giving people an opportunity to come to actually honor Jesus. And so they do that. And uh, we know that he gives so much more than we ever deserve. But these guys, they came and they saw a baby and they gave him gifts, right? These are the gifts. Gold. This is my best picture of gold, right? I tried to go archaic looking. I didn't want to do the gold bullion thing because they wouldn't have had bullion back then. But they gave him gold. Gold is a very valuable thing, right? But even, even more so back then. Okay, gold is a picture of his royalty. His royalty. In, um, in the Bible, anything to do with gold pretty much is to do with a, some kind of royal, some kind of king. Or even in the temple, like Moses' the tabernacle that they made for the Israelites back in the day, everything was covered in gold because God is the king, right? Um, and so gold, they gave gold. Uh, what else did they give? Frankincense. Now, I didn't bring any frankincense, and Rose is happy. Because <laughs> frankincense is what? It's incense, right? Um, and in, in fact, it's, it's, um, it's a resin that comes from a tree that gets dried out. You've got to cut the tree, right? You've got to wound the tree and leak the sap out, dry it out, and prepare it. And it takes a long time. And in those days, frankincense, very expensive stuff. These these gifts are really, really valuable gifts. And frankincense represents God, divinity. So all the way through the scriptures, if you see anything about incense, it's, it's always involving God. They would burn incense as a picture of prayers to God. His presence is like incense. It speaks of his divinity. And the last one was what? Myrrh. Myrrh is, um, it's also a, um, an incense kind of a thing. Also some kind of a, what's the term I'm thinking of? You can burn it, but they also refine it into uh, an anointing oil. So myrrh actually throughout the scriptures has, is, is common knowledge that myrrh is used to anoint dead bodies. Okay, as sad as that sounds, it's a beautiful smelling fragrance and it, and it masks everything else. So this speaks of his humanity, the fact that he was a human. He was, he knew about weakness in a human, in human flesh. So the gold speaks of his royalty, the frankincense speaks of his divinity, and the myrrh speaks of his humanity. And the wise men gave these gifts, right? They gave these gifts to him. And that's all we know. These gifts would have paid for Mary and Joseph and Jesus to live in Israel for three years. See, after this event, Joseph is warned in a dream, as are the wise men, 
They're warning a dream. But Joseph is warning a dream to flee from Bethlehem, from Judea, to go to Egypt. Did you know that? Jesus lived in Egypt for three years of his life. And so this, these gifts would have actually funded their journey for three years. Very, very valuable. But so symbolic too. Speaking of Jesus being the King of Kings, and here are these men, these grown men, honouring a baby as the King of Kings. And the frankincense speaking of his divinity, they realise there's something special about this king because his kingdom never ends. He must be divine. But the myrrh, it speaks about his humanity. You see, entry into his kingdom, you need to be human. And for him to make a way for you and I to enter into his kingdom forever, to be with this king in his kingdom forever, he needed to be human. He needed to pay the price for our sin, your sin and my sin on a cross, 30, 33 years later. So that you and I can just believe that, surrender our hearts and our lives to him as our own king, and then enter into eternal life with him into this amazing kingdom. And I think these Babylonian wise men that weren't religious, that, that didn't even have like any kind of inkling about Jerusalem and all the political and religious scene, they knew something we sometimes miss. They said God works in mysterious ways and he knows how to speak every single person's language and he knows how to draw them closer and closer and closer and closer to Jesus. Now, I don't know your story. It might not be 800 miles long. I'm not sure. It could be five years long. It could be 50 years long. I'm not sure. But each and every one of us have a journey in life and God wants us to be on that journey finding Jesus. And I think these, these wise men can teach me a lesson and you a lesson too. They still, needed, they still needed a bit of the word, but they had faith. They had faith in a star. And God was speaking to them through that. Now, God speaks to all of us differently in different ways, but ultimately through, through the Bible as well. And the Bible tells us that Jesus came as God's wonderful gift to us. These wise men gave these three valuable gifts, but God's gift was right there. And I think they kind of knew it. But the Bible tells us that they gave these gifts. And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. And it finishes there. I hate that. I want to know what happened. Did they, did they, what did they do? Did they accept Jesus as God's gift to them? as the King of kings and Lord of lords? I don't know. Did they surrender their hearts? Did they repent of their sin and say, please forgive me, God. Thank you for sending Jesus the Savior. I don't know. We're not told. We don't know how that story ends, but we know how our story can end. Each one of us are on a journey and God is trying to get our attention. It might not be a star in the sky. It might be a star in the sky. You might sit out on the trampoline at night and go, wow, there must be a God. I don't know. But he wants to get your attention on the journey. And the journey is not about coming to some kind of religious knowledge of all the Bible and all the scriptures and everything. 
or about anything else other than Jesus Christ come in the flesh as a human being to live and die for our sins on a cross. Isn't that wonderful news? I think it's good news. Wise people worship Jesus. Wisdom worships Jesus. Why don't we pray? Let's pray, hey? Dear God, we just thank you so much for these wise men and the lesson that we can learn from them, the lessons that we can learn from them. And, we th and I pray, Father God, that this Christmas time will be a special time for each one, Lord, and our families to realize that life is a journey and it's a journey that you've put us on. It's a journey where you've put markers in place and you're trying to get our attention to come to the manger, to come to the person of Jesus, to come to him, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so, Lord, yeah, that's our prayer, that people in Pakenham, people in our family and even us would have a realization of you, Lord Jesus, as the King of kings and Lord of lords. We honor you and worship you with everything we have. We don't want anything in return. We just worship you for who you are. And we thank you that you give us the greatest gift, eternal life, just by believing in your son, Jesus. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.